showing what we really trust. If there's ever been a time to truly lean on our trust in Christ, it's now. And so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. If you want to turn to the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is, is uh, I, I preached it some time back. Uh, we preached our way through it. it. It took a little while, but we preached our way through it. And it's, uh, what I love about Hebrews is it just continues to present the, superior, the, the supremacy and, and superiority of Christ. It just keeps telling us that Christ is superior to everything else, to the angels, to the religious systems, to the, to the priests, to the sacrificial system, to everything, Christ is supreme. And so I want you to think about that as we look at these verses and as we study our way through today. If Christ is supreme to everything, then why would we trust anything else? Why would we put our trust in something less than Christ? We can trust Christ, and that's what we're going to study today. <clears throat> so let's take a look. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 14 and just read 14, 15, and 16. So starting in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So you can see that, that, that here in the context, he, he begins to, to tell us if Christ is superior to everything, if he's the great high priest, then why would we trust anything or anyone else? So let's study our way through and, and look first at the context. The context is, as I said earlier, the, the, the overall, the letter to the Hebrews is, is a letter that, that is trying to encourage these believers, these Jewish Christians, not to return to Judaism. They are, they are seeming to want to drift back to the religious system that they had before. And so the, the letter to the Hebrews tells, tells them, don't do that, trust Christ. Continue in the faith in Christ. Now, the, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, the, the author is actually unknown. There have been those who have said that Paul wrote it. But there's some internal evidence, frankly, in, in, uh, in, within Hebrews that says that Paul's not the writer. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 3, says, This salvation has, has had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, Paul makes it very clear in Galatians 1 that he heard directly from Christ. He did not hear it from somebody else. And so right here in Hebrews, we have the writer of Hebrews saying he didn't hear it from Christ. He heard it from somebody who heard it from Christ. So I don't think Paul's the writer of Hebrews because he wouldn't say, it wouldn't make any sense for him to say this. Now, there's a lot of, uh, of terminology and such in this letter that makes it seem like Paul, so it's somebody that is familiar with Paul. Uh, Barnabas has been proposed as the writer of Hebrews, and, that's, and that's, there's an interesting case for that. But what's important to us is that God wrote it, that God sent it to us. 
and that he wants us to understand and know the supremacy of Christ that, that is in nearly every verse of, of this letter. And, and so that's the importance of it, that, that Christ is superior to everything. Now, in the immediate context here in chapter 4, he's talking about the Exodus event. <laughs> and he's talking about how Christ fulfills the Exodus event. So, of course, I'm going to love this letter, right? If you know me at all, you know I'm going to love this letter because it talks about the Exodus. But, but he, he, he's talking about the Sabbath rest and, and how the people couldn't. And, and then he, he presents us with Christ is the great high priest. And so we see that, that Christ not only fulfills the Exodus event, he fulfills the priesthood and what it always was meant to be. He fulfills the sacrificial system. He fulfills the festivals and the feasts. And, and, and the religious activity, everything, all of Judaism can be summed up and fulfilled in Christ. That's why he's superior to all of this. So what does this tell us about God? What does this say about God? It says that Christ is our great high priest. Nobody else is called a great high priest. And so he fulfills the sacrificial system. He fulfills the priesthood. All of the priesthood that has happened since the Exodus event, has all just pointed us to Christ. It's all just meant to show us Christ. All of the sacrificial system, all of the festivals and feasts, and, and everything, all of Judaism, was to point us to our need for Christ. So he is our great high priest. He fulfills the priesthood in a way that no one else ever could. Because how a... No man who was ever high priest could be high priest forever. He died. He couldn't be on duty forever because he would die. He couldn't offer himself as the sacrifice. And yet Christ did exactly that. He was not only the high priest, he was the sacrifice. And he continues today as our great high priest, offering himself for us before God. No one could ever do that except Jesus. Now, it also tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I, I, I wanted to point this out because there are, there are differing, there's other voices out there that talk about this. There are, there are two terms in Greek that are used to describe Jesus. The first one is the Son of God as a title, huios, Hatheos. And that, that, is, that is Son of God as a title. Now, <clears throat> and what I mean by a title is like you would say president, or you would say pastor, or you would say high priest. Or you, it's a title before a name. And so, in, some, in, in, in many places in the Bible, it's a title, it's a position that Jesus holds as Son of God. Huios, Hatheos. What's written here in the original Greek is huiu tautheiu. This is the genitive case. Now, the genitive case shows relationship. And so, in, when, he's, when it says son of God in this particular case of the original Greek, it's meaning what we would say God's son. He's, he's the son of God, just like James and John were the son of Zebedee. Same genitive case. He's the same as any, anyone in here who has a son or, ha, or is a son. 
And so this tells us that this is God's son, not, not only in position, but in relationship. This is God's son. It also tells us that God enters into our suffering. You know, biblical Christianity is the only one that treats suffering fairly and truthfully. Biblical Christianity does not tell you that you're suffering because you don't have enough faith. Biblical Christianity does not tell you that you're suffering because your sin deserves it. Biblical Christianity says suffering is because of the fall of man. And, and God enters into our suffering with us. He gives us himself when we are suffering. He gave us Christ. And so Christ can sympathize with everything we go through. Christ knows what suffering is. He suffered. And so he knows what suffering is. Think about, through the, the Gospels, think about the stories of Jesus. We see Jesus weeping like a man does at the loss of Lazarus. And then we see him raise Lazarus from the dead. We see Jesus hungry and thirsty and then feeding 5,000 with a kid's sack lunch. We, we see the humanity and the deity of Jesus. Jesus has felt what we feel. He knows what, what this feels like. We even see in the, in, the, in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus asking God, can this, pat, this cup pass from me? Can you come up with a different plan? Now, I want you to think this through because Jesus knew exactly what he was here for. He knew exactly what the plan of God was. He knew that you and I needed him on that cross. But he sits in the garden and asks God for plan B. He asks God for something that he knows God cannot give. But he asks anyway. He knows what fear feels like and anxiety feels like and worry feels like. He knows how we feel today. The uncertainty of, 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 of what's ahead. He knows how that feels. We even see him on the cross saying, my God, my God, why? Has, have you ever been told you can't ask God why? Jesus did. He asked God why. And he felt abandoned, and he felt forsaken. And it's all right there in the Gospels for us. Jesus knows how we feel. And so in these kind of troubled times, we don't have a high priest that doesn't know anything about us. We have a high priest. We have a Savior that has felt what we feel, has been through what we go through, has walked a mile in our moccasins, and knows how we feel. So what does this say about us? It says you are the target, focus, and purpose of this salvation. Jesus came to save you. He didn't come to save religion. He didn't come to save church. He didn't come to save just the religious people. He came to save you. You and I. Jesus came for us. It tells us also that that. As I said earlier, Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. Uh, when we feel fear, anxiety, worry, when we feel troubled, when we feel 
uncertainty about the future. When we feel all of these things, Jesus has felt them, and we can see it in the Gospels. So you can hear, literally hear Jesus saying, I know how that feels, my child, when we come to him in our time of need. So what must we do? Well, there was, there's really two, I think, in this short passage. First one is hold fast to our confession. Now, I want you to think this through. As I said earlier, if Christ is superior and supreme to all and everything, why would we trust anything else? Why would we place our trust in, in, in anybody or anything other than Christ if Christ is supreme to, and, and superior to all of it. We need to trust Christ. We need to hold fast to our confession of faith in Christ. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone, and we cannot put our hope in anything else. Not doctors, not nurses, not researchers, not political figures, nothing. Christ and Christ alone. He is our hope. And the second thing, it it, it says that we can approach the throne with boldness. There is absolutely nothing that you cannot pray and ask God. Absolutely nothing. And again, I will point you to the, the example of Jesus asking God why. Sometimes we're told we can't ask God why. Jesus did. He asked God why. So ask him. We, we are sometimes told we can't ask God for things we know he, won't, he, he doesn't want to give us. Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed, let this cup pass from me. He prayed it anyway. He knew God would not change the situation. But what God did is change him in this situation. Because he goes from, from let this cup pass from me to not my will, but your will be done. God may not give you what you ask for, but he may not change your situation, but he will change you in the situation if you ask. So let's, uh, let's look at this verse 16, phrase by phrase. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. You know the rule of therefore, there's a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. Right? Therefore always looks backwards. And so we, we, we have to look back and see what's this therefore here for. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to leave it. So we look back at verse 15, and it, and it says we can approach the throne of grace because of verse six, 15. And verse 15 tells us that, that we approach the throne of grace because Jesus knows how we feel. Because we have a high priest, a Savior, who can sympathize with how we feel. So we can approach the throne of grace because of Jesus and, and knowing how we feel. We have seen the incredible grace and mercy of God firsthand, haven't we? If you know Christ, then you know the mercy and grace of God firsthand. We have seen it. You have seen it in your life. 
We can see it if we back up and look at, at, at mankind as a whole. We can see the, great, the incredible mercy and grace of God. Because I've got to tell you, if, if I were God, I'd have pushed the delete button a long time ago. <laughs> Control-Alt-Delete. Start over. But we see the, the incredible mercy and grace of God in sending us Jesus. And so we know that in our time of need, he will be there. And, and this idea of, uh, of boldness, it's, uh, it's the same word is, is translated courageously. And so we courageously approach the throne of grace. Here's the thing. It says when we have a time of need, and we have this idea, especially maybe in the, in the western United States, we have this idea that, that being in need is a bad thing. We have this idea of standing on our own two feet and, 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 and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, and you, you know all of the idioms. We, we know that we can go to God and admit our need. We can courageously admit our need before God. And I'll tell you again, there is nothing you cannot pray and ask God. Nothing. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Cry out to God for mercy. If there's anything we need on our country right now, it's mercy. If, if there's anything we need in our country right now, it's for, for the people of God to cry out for mercy and grace. And we can approach the throne of grace and receive it. Receive mercy, receive grace, receive help in time of need. The God who raised Jesus from the dead will still continues to give that grave-emptying grace and mercy to us. He continues to give us mercy and grace. We have seen it in our lives, we've experienced it in our lives, and we can continue to experience it in our lives today. We go to God. We approach the throne of grace courageously. We pour out our hearts and ask for that grave-emptying mercy and grace. And then we receive. That's the promise of this verse. Then we receive. Christ is superior to all things. He is supreme to all. He is, and, and, and the, the book of Hebrews goes through and, and, and talks about angels and priesthoods and sacrifices and festivals and feasts, religions and religious activity, but he is superior to all of it. He fulfills all of it. Why would we trust anything else? We approach the throne of grace with, with boldness, courageously, and ask God for mercy and grace. And we receive it. Would you approach the throne of grace with me this morning? Let's boldly go. Bow your heads with me, if you will. And boldly, let's boldly say, Father... We need your mercy and your grace. We need it in our lives. 
so that we can more fully trust Christ and not, not trust or put our hope in anything else. And Father, our country needs it. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And we approach with boldness, expecting to receive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.